0: Everyone, welcome back to the Fowler Hour. On today's show, it's just me. I moved back home out of London this week, so I had no idea whether I'd actually be able to record an episode with a guest this week. So we're doing a solo show. I'm just throwing my arms in the air right now, which you can't see because I'm excited because we're gonna be talking today about my logo design process and what I'm doing with it in 2019. I'm not gonna talk about what I've done previously and how have developed this, But what we are going to focus on largely is going to be what I'm doing, all the stages and some of the non-negotiable stuff that I have within my logo design process as well. Things that can never be changed and I will not move away from doing regardless of what the client wants or what they think they need, etc, etc. Today's show is sponsored in part by Skillshare. I talk about Skillshare a lot and I think I'm going to be starting to put recommendations for my favorite Skillshare courses into the show as well. The Skillshare is an amazing online learning platform where you can watch unlimited courses on a massive array of topics from business to accounting to craft to I believe there's stuff on sneaker design in there as well, 3D modeling, logo design from people like Aaron Draplin and Paula Scher, George Bokua. I can never pronounce his name, Bokua. George, I'm sorry, but his course on logo gridding and using the golden ratio and things is an amazing course. So as I said, today's show is brought to you in part by Skillshare and to get two free months of Skillshare, which you can cancel at any time and you're not limited to your classes, you can watch as many videos as you want in that two months. To get those two free months, go to skl.sh cfowlerdesign. You can also find a link to it down in the show notes. And by signing up through Skillshare, you help to support the show because it's an affiliate link and I really appreciate the support for anyone who listens to the show and goes and join Skillshare because you're going to benefit yourself and you're giving us a little tip as well on the side. So thank you very much and thank you to Skillshare. On today's show, as I said, we're going to be talking about my logo design process. Now, my logo process has changed a lot since I first started out. And one of the main reasons for that is because I've just got better and figured out what is wrong with my process in, to begin with and also what needed to be done to improve it which is a strange thing to think about in general because people think that oh i've got this logo design process i'm never going to change it i'm never going to update it That what's the point uh, i just do three concepts two revisions put some mock-ups on it and just ship it and that's fine for some people and that works fine for some people many people can go years and years and years and years and years never doing anything different, and that's perfectly okay. Everybody has a different process. I've just found that that doesn't really work for me anymore, and I have other things that I need to do within the process to guarantee a result that is effective for my clients time and time again. So I wanted to start by talking about some non-negotiables I have for my client projects. Now, these are generally consistent throughout all of my client projects, There's maybe some cases where some things have had to be negotiated or changed depending on the contract and things, but these are the typical non-negotiables. So the first thing is that all of my communication, apart from a couple of emails here and there, I like to do through video and audio calls. Now, in some cases, as I said, you'll need to email them. You'll need to email them a question or you'll need to email them to say, did you receive this document? or to arrange a meeting. But I have some threads with my clients that are just us arranging meetings. And that's the way that it should be. Because when you use emails, it's just not an effective way to communicate. And I've talked about this at nauseam on different shows and different stories on Instagram and things like that. But emails are just not an effective way to communicate, particularly when you're having such a nuanced discussion around creative solutions and (laughs) service-based. Service-based work rather than just off the shelf type packages, or if you go to a DIY store, you can go and buy bricks for a certain price. You can't do that with logo design. You need to, because it's a creative service and creative process, you need to actually sit down and talk with people so that you can understand what's going on and how to make them a solution that is going to be the best for their business. So the that's the first thing. Almost all the calls are done through Zoom as well. And if someone is not willing to speak with me on the phone, we just don't work together. And sometimes I'll ask them why they're not willing to speak on the phone. And it usually, the answer is that they're too busy. And it's like, okay, well, if you're too busy to take a 20-minute call speak to me on the phone, that means that if you're going to email me, your emails are only going to be one or two sentences, and we're not going to get anything done anyway, because they're not willing to invest the time into the project that's necessary to create a solution that is actually effective for their business. They just want something quick and something cheap generally. And typically I'll just send those people to, or those prospects to other sites and services like Fiverr or 99designs or Upwork where they can just, or even a stock site where they can just purchase something straight off the bat and be done with it and use it and not have to worry about the time investment to do that. Because some people just don't have the time and some people also just don't care. So that's why the second non-negotiable is that if they're not willing to speak on the phone, I typically will not work with them. The third one is a have a deposit up front. Now I've written here that generally I'll write a 50% deposit up front. I will always take 50%, but depending on the size of the project, I might break that down a little bit further. So if we're talking about a very large project that's going to take multiple months to do, I will typically stage the payments. So I'll either do it in thirds or in quarters. So it will be a 25% deposit up front and then it will be broken down to more sections as we go through and at different milestones as well. So a recent project I did in thirds because that was easiest to do and also it was better for their business cycle and their cash flow too. So we did it in thirds. They paid 33% up front, they paid 33% halfway through and they paid 33% when it, the work was finished and I hadn't delivered it yet, so I hadn't sent them the files, but I always make sure that I get a deposit no matter what the project is, uh, but 50% typically what I would aim for. The next non-negotiable is that in my contract, I have a line about authorship rights. Now, authorship rights are a line in your contract that basically says, you can tell people you made this work. And if you can't tell people that you made that particular piece of work, then how are you going to find more work? And in some cases, it's quite common, especially if you are contracting for another design agency, that they'll say, well, you're working for our agency, so you can't say that it's your work. You've done it under our banner, so you need to just leave it as that. And that's fine. If you're contract working for another agency, that's fine. But sometimes, once in a blue moon, a client will say, oh, yeah, uh, no, you can't tell anyone that you made this logo for us. You can't tell anyone that you made this design for us. And it's like, okay, well, how do you expect me to find more work if I'm not allowed to tell people I made this design for you? And in some cases, you just have to say, okay, well, if you, if you want to work together and you don't want me to have authorship rights, well, I'm going to 5 or 10x the cost because of all the work I'm not going to get because I'm not allowed to talk about authorship rights for this design or the fact I made this design for you. So, But most, most clients are perfectly okay with you maintaining authorship rights for the design that you created. So you hand the copyright for the logo over so they can use it wherever they want, but you also maintain authorship rights so that you don't get screwed in the long term, so that you can actually say, I made this design, I can use this to promote, I can use this to make case studies, I can use this to make, make a new portion of my website, for example, to get more leads, to get more work in. And then the final non-negotiable is that I don't start any work until the contract is signed. So I have a specific contract for logo design and I don't start any work until that document is signed and the copy signed has been sent back to me. And now I know I've just spent 10 minutes talking about non-negotiables, but those things, those five kind of things are extremely, extremely important because without them, you will just keep getting screwed. Every single time you make a logo design, all the logo design projects will drag on and on and on and on because you've not set a specific process to deal and talk to your clients. You've not set up a process where you can create something that is effective. You've just kind of let them dictate the, the, the process and the way that you start the project. So let's now actually get into how I create a logo design and what that process looks like. So, the process at the moment is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 steps. So, a nice round number for you guys to follow along with. And I'd suggest if you want to kind of follow along and take some stuff out for your own process to so grab a bit of pen and paper as we talk through it. And then also go back through and double check some things because I'm going to be going through this quite quickly. So, step one, I do a discovery call with the client. So, this is before we've signed the contract. This is before the price has been negotiated or anything like that. This is the step one. So we do a discovery call with the client. Again, as I said, we do a call. I typically do a video call on Zoom. So they've come to me and said, we're looking for a logo for our company. We want to refresh our logo, whatever the reasoning is. And I do a discovery call with them. So I sit down and understand about their business, just getting a rough overview, why they're contacting me. Do they even need a logo? Is it their logo's the problem or is their entire brand system a problem? Maybe it's their logo, maybe they've got a problem with the packaging design and that needs updating instead of the logo. These are all questions you need to be considering when someone comes and asks you for a logo design because sometimes they won't even need a logo design. Sometimes they'll need something completely different. And many people seem to believe that their logo is their entire brand's identity, but it's not. So Sometimes people will associate their entire brand worth with an icon or with a symbol, when in reality, it's the much broader picture of their identity that could be causing the problem and their logo is perfectly fine. So we do that discovery call, which again is only 30 minutes or so. It's not anything crazy because it's something to quickly assess whether they actually need what they've come to me asking for and also to say, okay, right, well, I think this might be a good fit. Let's go through to the next step. The next step is basically signing paperwork, sorting out um, proposals and signing contracts and things like that. So I'm not going to touch that too much, but I wanted to explain how I start a call with a client to make sure that we're on the same page. So the next step is that we've signed that contract and now we're going to do some brand research. And that usually begins with interviewing the client about their business's history, their business's long-term mission, or goals and who their competitors are. So we get a base view, kind of a foundation of why their business was set up in the first place, what's happened up until this point, and what they want to do in the future. Because for example, if you look at a brand and you just say, oh, right now they're making, I don't know, maybe they're making CBD oil, for example, as their main product line. But in five years' time, they might want to branch out into other products and other different styles of product, the different industries. And if you don't ask them these questions, you could be making a logo design that is effective for what they have now, but not effective for them in the future. And what we're looking to do is make a logo design that will be timeless for them, that will last for the entirety of their brand. So it's important to understand what they want to do and where they want to take their brand in the long term so you can make a logo design that harmonizes well with that. So that's step two. So that's the brand research call. And typically I'll bundle the next few together. So then the next thing that we do is, which is number three, is the brand personality workshop. So you might be thinking at this point, Connor, these kind of sound a bit like brand strategy. These sound a bit like some of the core structure. And that's because they are. They're kind of derived from the future's core system, but they're also derived from general brand strategy. But I, I don't typically call this brand strategy when I deal with my clients. Uh, it depends on the specific project. But this is all helping me and helping them to understand exactly what they need, what I need, and how we can build something for them that's actually going to be effective. Because the worst thing to do is to make a logo design for someone and then see six months later that they have to change it because it's, it's not effective for their brand anymore. So the second part of this brand research phase is to do the brand personality workshop. So the questions you can ask are things like, is, if your brand was a person, what would their personality be? What type of person would they be? What keywords would you use to describe them? That could be bold, confident, eccentric. Uh, you could use something like passionate, quiet, shy, uh, loving, all these different types of characteristics. You can find lists of brand adjectives or personality keywords online. And I typically with the client we'll ask them all these questions things like if your brand was a person what would their personality be what would other people say about your brand what type of clothes might this brand wear or this personified brand wear and you start to establish certain characteristics about the brand that it bring to light certain keywords which we'll use later on so you're establishing keywords to find their brand voice and their brand personality and we'll be using those keywords later in the art direction phase and these keywords typically you want to be aiming for about five at the most i don't aim for any more than that but sometimes when you're talking to a client they'll go things like well they'll say things like uh, our personality is bold and it's like okay great bold is a is fine but that's such a it's a catch-all word and by a catch-all word i mean it's just something that it, it doesn't have because it's used so often it doesn't really have strong definitions anymore so you need to go down a little bit deeper and go okay what is that Bold as in impactful, bold as in assertive, bold as in confident, bold as in strong. Like, how how do you break this down into a format that is more accurate? So you need to say, okay, well, why are they bold? What is it about your brand that makes it bold? And you dig a little deeper. And by the end of that section, you want to be having about five keywords. Three is probably the minimum and seven or eight is probably the maximum. But when you go above five, you're just making more work for yourself and potentially spreading yourself a little bit too thin. So step four, we've done that workshop. We're going to go now and do some background research on our client and their industry. So we have some basic information. We know who their competitors are. We know roughly what type of personality their brand has and the voice that they're going for is. So we're going to go and do this without the client. We're going to go and look at their marketplace, the general direction that they want to head in and any competitor's branding and what we want to avoid. So we want to look at the keywords we're going for, look at the competitors and go, okay, well, is someone gonna confuse what we're building here with a competitor? Or we look at their competitor's logo and say, okay, well, we can't do X thing. Or we look at their color palette. So I was working with a construction company earlier this year, and we quickly realized that the color palette we had been building through no fault of our own, actually. So we, I built this color palette. I'd purposely done some research to say, okay, well, these are your competitors. This is their color palette system, and this is what we're going to avoid. So I built a color palette that avoided that entirely. But at one point, one of their competitors, halfway through our project, one of their competitors changed their color palette to the exact color palette we were using for that my client. So there are sometimes things that, like that that come up that you can't avoid, and you just have to uh, pivot and adapt and build something slightly different on the fly and kind of adjust as you go. But it's better to do the research or as much research as you can upfront. So, by doing some background research about the industry, you can see where the industry is heading. You can look at the marketplace and say, okay, well, what is everybody else doing here? How can we avoid that? How can we stand out from that? And also, you want to look at competitors' branding to go, okay, well, we can't use orange and black or we can't use, I don't know, purple and yellow, for example, in the branding. So that's number four. So the first four we've got are we do a discovery call. We do some brand uh, research and have a call with them. So we understand about their brand history. We do a brand personality workshop. We then go through and do some background research off kind of off camera. We do that behind the scenes. Then the next thing is the user profiles. Now, Again, we're talking just about a logo design here and this feels very strategy heavy, Connor. And that's because it is. You need to get this into your head that a logo design is not just a case of making some concepts and like lobbing them at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like we're not just throwing spaghetti at the wall and trying to see what sticks here. We're trying to make something that is going to be effective for their specific brand without having to do things like, oh, what do you think about this design? Yeah, I really like it. I I like the colors. No, 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 no. It needs to be effective for their brand, which means you need to do the research up front to create something like that. You cannot solve a problem without the necessary knowledge to understand the problem, which is why this is so much harder than just being an artist, for example, and making logos or icons or symbols and just putting them online and seeing what sticks, because you can do that. But I wouldn't say, you're a designer at that point. I'd say you are being creative and you're being artistic, but you are not being a designer because a designer is focused on solving problems and to solve problems, you need to start with the necessary tools to understand the problem, which is this research that we're doing. So user profiling, that's where we were up to. Creating user profiles for current and dream customers. So if you've watched the Building a Brand series that the future did, this is the, the episode where Matthew and Ben were sat down Uh, with the guys, with their client, and they were going, well, what does your your current client base look like? What does your dream client base look like? What do they do on a day-to-day basis? What are their hobbies? Do they have a family? What kind of job do they have? What education level might they be at? How much income do they have? Are they regularly coming to your store? Are they buying things online? How are they interacting with your brand? And you'll also want to look at things like So the main categories are things like their life, their hobbies, their general kind of living situation, their desires, their goals, and also some of their problems. What are their problems that they're facing on a day-to-day basis or a weekly basis that your client's brand helps solve? So you break it down with things like who they are, their general demographics, you go what their problems are, what they need, and also how your brand or how your client's brand solves those problems. So how you can help those ideal customers and users. Because when you understand how you can help them, you have a better idea of the direction to head in. So they're the user profiles. And you can learn more about the user profiles, I say from that building a brand episode with the future. And it's just a great way to really deep dive into a client's business. Because when they understand who their clients are, it makes this whole process easier. And it also means that later down the line, you can create further assets for them that are, just more, that are more than just a logo design. Because when you're making more than just a logo design, you can expand it out and target it in a way that is much more specific than just making the symbol that identifies their brand. The next thing, so we've made all the user profiles. We've done all this kind of analytical research. The next thing is to look at art directions and stylescapes. Now we've probably all heard of stylescapes by now. And if you haven't, again, <laughs> I, I promote the future so much on this on this show all the time but uh it's it's because it works the art direction and stylescapes they're based on the stylescapes and kind of what's the word the the guys in motion use frame tiles style tiles something like that so stylescapes is kind of a glorified evolved version of a mood board and this is how I go about making them so we've taken and got all these analytical pieces of data we've got the brand history, we've got user profiles and we've also got about five personality keywords for the client's brand. Now when I'm making starscapes we'll be using those keywords and I'll typically be making between one and three starscapes depending on the scope of the project so there'll be one to three distinct art directions. So what I do is we go to Pinterest because Pinterest is the wealth of all images on the internet with everything is tagged really well And we take the keyword. So let's, again, we'll just use the keyword of bold. I would, because it's an easy one to remember. And what I do is I go on Pinterest and I type in bold and I attach an example word from a predetermined list that I've made. Now, this predetermined list includes things such as architecture, interior design, packaging design, typefaces, logo design, portraits, candid, photos, um, landscapes, uh, nature as well. So we're going through a broad spectrum of images here just to find the right things for our clients, Uh, logo design and also general brand look and feel. So it makes it easier for you to make a logo design when we get there. Now, it might seem a bit long winded to go through Pinterest and be like bold architecture, bold interior, bold logo, bold typeface. And that's because it is. It does take quite a while. But when you've practiced this and you've refined it, you can typically get each keyword down to maybe one to two minutes when you've punched it in. So then you repeat that entire list. So I think my list of predetermined words at the moment that I have is about 10. So if i am got five keywords, it's taking me two minutes per keyword. That's about 20 minutes, 20 minutes by five. It's just over an hour. So it's, it's one to two hours to go through and find images on Pinterest that correlate to these search terms. So the, as I say, just to do reiterate that formula, we take a brand personality keyword we've created and a word from a list you've already made. So look at not just logos and design work, but also like packaging, look at architecture, look at general art, like painting or, or photography, anything like that that's different from design, go and look at that as well and see how the keywords match up to it. So you're doing these searches, you're finding all these images. What you want to be doing is going through the Pinterest search results and adding any images you see that you believe would be a good fit for that keyword and the discussions you've had with the client up to this point. So you want to be just picking images. Don't think about them too much. Just use that button that adds it automatically to a a board and just go through and scroll through and go, okay, well, that looks about right. That looks about right. That looks about right. Add those to the board and go through all of your keywords and just don't, don't look at the board. Just go through all the keywords. Don't look at the board and just finish that list. And then when you finish the list, go to the Pinterest board, maybe jumble it up a little bit. Just move some of the images around in the board. But when you have finished looking at all those images, you'll start to see, hopefully, you'll start to see a pattern forming. And that pattern will make it super, super easy for you to do the next step, which is to make the stylescape. So you'll notice probably that there's some kind of pattern or color palettes or themes appearing in the Pinterest board. And then you want to remove any of the images from the Pinterest board that don't fit. Anything that sticks out like a sore thumb, just move it to a different section and get rid of it. Don't have to delete it, just remove it to a different section, get rid of it. Then we'll be putting it into a Starscape. Now I'm not going to go through exactly how to build a Starscape today, but you can go and find that on, on YouTube or through the Starscapes course that the future has but a Starscape is basically an integrated version of this mood board. You're building an one image out of a few different images. It's kind of like a digital collage in a way. So you'll be taking a board, an art board, that's quite long width and short, so thin, and then building out or building in all those images that you've created. So don't take all 50 of the images from your Pinterest board, but select between 10 and 15 and start to build out a collage of those images that tells a story, starting from the far left, typically with your typefaces or some logo examples and moving through to the right with more intense and more or larger format images along with a hero and portrait shot of what the ideal customer for this particular stylescape would look like. It takes some time to make your first stylescape to get used to that process, but it's a really, really effective tool when you have done it because your client can see, well, not just your client, but you can both get on the same page with where the art direction for the brand is or going to go or for your logo design specifically, because on the stylescape, the logo design, you should have example logos on the stylescape, which sounds silly because it's like, okay, well, you're going to just copy these ones, aren't you? They're gonna, the client's going to want exactly the ones that you've shown. It's like, No, they're not, but they just want to see examples of the direction you are thinking of heading in. It also saves you time because it means that then you don't have to just sit there and throw spaghetti at the wall, which is the one thing That we want to avoid and this is what this whole process is for is to stop you just running around in circles like a headless chicken so if you've been keeping up we are now about to go on to step seven which is the actual logo design process so with our client we've now determined the art direction we've determined some elements typefaces and color palettes that we're going to use with the logo design so you already know the general aesthetic for the design You already know probably that it's either going to be some representative mark, whether that's of an animal or a vehicle or a building or whatever it's going to be, a real object. You know it's going to be a letter, a word mark, or even an abstract mark based on the stylescape and discussions you've had with your client. The next step in the logo design process is to review all of that research. So you've got to drag all the research back up, all your stylescape stuff, and review it. So when you've reviewed that, you can whip out your sketchbook and go, okay, well, now we're going to do some sketches. And I'll typically sketch for maybe a day. So if we're talking about a full day, it'll probably be six to eight hours of working, of sketching. But I might spread it out over multiple days. So I might not do six to eight hours in one sitting because that's probably just going to blow your brain out. And I'm yawning. Why am I yawning? Ugh. Okay, so where are we? we were talking about sketching. <laughs> so sketching between six to eight hours um across the board maybe across a couple of days depending on what my schedule is looking like and the reason i don't spend days and, days and days and days and days and days sketching is because i used to do that and i found that it just wasn't actually effective at all it was just becoming the same ideas over and over and over and i was i was running my creativity so dry that i wasn't actually creating anything interesting or new i was just putting rubbish sketches down on the page that didn't really didn't really actually do anything. They didn't actually benefit my process at all in any way. They just existed, which became a real problem later on because I had all these ideas. I had no way to narrow down what was good and what wasn't. And I also watched an interview with the head of uh, the Nendo design studio, which is a a product and architecture studio called Oki Sato. He's the head uh, head of Nendo, the guy who set it up. And he talks about how he does his design process and his sketching and things like that. And he said that basically you just need to go with your gut and trust your first few ideas because otherwise you'll just go round and round and round in circles and ultimately end up back where you started. And I found that that's exactly what I was doing. I found that even if I'd spent days and days and days doing sketches, I would always go back to the first few pages and pull out the best concepts from there. So I just wasted all this time kind of running my brain dry just to go back to where we started. So that's why I kind of set a time limit for how much sketching I do just because it makes my life and my creative process faster and more efficient. So hopefully you guys can understand why you should try that out as well. So rather than just kind of sitting down and going, "Oh, I'm going to do some sketches now." Actually set yourself a time limit and see what you can get done in that time and see whether the ideas you make in that time could be the answer. Because I think generally they will be. So when I've done all those sketches, I'll typically take around 10 of them, narrowing down however many I've done to about 10, and make those 10 digital. Just rough designs, not anything super special. I've not spent much time on them. Just rough concepts. So they're on my computer and I have something to build from. Then I'll take those 10 concepts, refine them a little bit more, Not again, not too heavily, just enough to balance out any problems that were with the original idea. And then I'll pair them up with some typefaces and basic color palettes to see which suits the brief most effectively. So, for example, if I've made a concept that doesn't pair well with the style of typeface we've created, uh, we've selected in the Stylescape portion in the art direction phase, then there's no point using that concept because if we've decided on this particular style of typeface for the logo and also for their general brand identity moving forward, then creating a logo design that doesn't pair well with that particular typeface is just going to be a waste of time and it will look disjointed. So you need to pair these concepts up, these rough 10 concepts up with some typefaces and basic color palettes to see which is going to be the most effective. The typefaces and colors are drawn from the stylescape, as I mentioned, with variations based on that kind of style. So for example, if we were looking at Helvetica being the identity or the, the general brand typeface, then I'll look at other options that are similar to it and pair those up as well. So if I've got 10 concepts, I'll probably try three different typefaces and three different color palettes. So we'll look at 30 different examples. And then from there, we've got those all those examples together. I'll be able to just draw a circle around which ones I think are the most effective and narrow it down to about three logo concepts. So when I've narrowed it down to three logo concepts, we can see, okay, well, of these three logos, which color palette is the best for each one and which typeface is the best for each one. So we've gone from 50 or hundred or however many sketches to 10 concepts, then down to three concepts. And then we take those three concepts and we apply them to some basic mock-ups. Now I don't show any of this to the client. This is all behind the scenes, but I apply them to some basic mock-ups print them out or look at them on my computer screen or ask some other people to look at them and go here's the context about this company about this design which of these do you think is the most effective and generally you'll be able to get a good understanding and good feel of what design will be the most effective based on those basic mock-ups because until you've seen the design out in the real world it's kind of difficult to really appreciate what it's going to look like because until you appreciate what it looks like if you can't, I mean, if you can't even picture what it looks like, then how the hell is your client going to picture it? We're the designers, we're the visual thinkers. Generally, your client is not a visual thinker. So if you're struggling to pick out one concept out of three, or even envision what it looks like on mock-ups, then you're going to struggle to tell that to the client and present that to your client in the end. So I've narrowed it down to three concepts and we've applied it to some basic mock-ups. And now this is the bit that I think is slightly different from most people's design process or specifically logo design process. I only present one concept to the client because as a designer, I've been hired to solve their problem. We've done the necessary research. I've done the necessary process. So why would I present them with three concepts to subjectively pick one from? Yeah, you don't want to be asking, what do you think? You don't want their personal taste to influence what is best for their brand. So I don't present three concepts. I just present one. So to do that, I need to narrow down my selection to one concept, to which would be the most effective for their brand and also for the problem that we are trying to solve with this project. So to do this, I've done the necessary research, as I said. We've taken those 10 concepts, we've narrowed it down to three, and then we've put them on some basic mock-ups. Now that they're on some basic mock-ups, I can select one concept from those three. I can see which one is going to be the most effective for their brand and build something for them that's actually going to work. So I select that one concept and apply it to even more mockups, both basic ones and also industry specific mockups for my client's industry. So when I show it to my client, they know exactly what's going on, they know exactly how I've got here, and they know why the solution I've picked is the most effective for their brand. Now that's kind of the longest section I think to talk about is that logo design process section, because. You can spend so long tweaking the designs, but in reality, you just need to narrow down to one, the best concept and refine that best concept. The next step, which is the daunting bit, you have to present it to the client. So we're on step eight now, which is the logo presentation. Now, my presentations include many different sections. I don't just do, here's the logo, here's some mock-ups, pick which one you want, thanks very much. I try and do some kind of storytelling and also share the process of what's been going on in that particular moment. So the presentation generally opens up with my previous research. So the research we've done with the client, we talk about the history of it, uh, making sure that they are refreshed, because it could be a couple of weeks between the time we've last spoken. So we're refreshing their memory and what to expect in the presentation. We let them know there's only one concept, as they already do know, and that you spent the time refining and testing the design to come up with the best solution. We've not just picked three random ideas and letting them pick one, like a raffle or like a lottery we're actually making a solution for them that is going to be the most effective and they need to understand that up front. Then we do the big reveal. We show the logo design off in just black and white, keeping it clean and simple. Sometimes I'll do the the black on white and then I'll do the white on black to show the reverse, but we're keeping it super plain, super simple just for the logo design. And then we swiftly move through to the next step of of that presentation, which is to look at the process of getting there. I include screenshots of my process, of the sketches, maybe even a little video clip, but obviously trying to do that across Zoom is a real pain. So I typically just do images. We do pictures of the the sketches of the ideas, how they were developed, how they were refined, how they were tested, talking about the reasons why each idea was removed or selected or designed in a particular way and how I narrowed it down to the final final idea, which is the one they've seen in the presentation. If you don't do that, if you don't sit down and actually explain the reasons why you've made these decisions, They could potentially see it as, oh, well, Connor just liked that design the most. I know Connor loves doing uh, logo letters, letter, (laughs) logo letters. He loves doing letter logos. So, of course, he'd just pick a letter logo. Why would he do anything different? But you need to make sure that your client understands you have spent the time and you have followed an extensive, thorough process to get to where you are. If you just present them the logo and say, Ta da, I did it. That's it. Cool. Pay me. They're going to be like, what? How how the hell did you get from what we talked about to this? Because you haven't actually shown them the way you got there, and you haven't actually shown them your process. So start by doing that. Show them your process. And then wrap up that presentation with all the mock-ups you've created for that one final design, including basic mock-ups, things like t-shirts, mugs, business cards, all the way through to more industry-specific ones. So if we were talking about, as I say, like a CBD oil company. You do like a dropper bottle or the packaging that it goes in. Or maybe you do something related to one of their products that they create as well. And then finish it off. Final slide, logo design on black and white again. So you've gone full circle. You've shown them the logo. You've shown them all the process. You've shown them the mock-ups. And then you've whipped it back around to that logo design. And then step number nine is receiving feedback on that. You'll probably sit there and go, okay, I've just done all this time. I've spent all this time presenting. We're okay. Or okay, we did it. We've made it, we made it, we made it. And then you've got to hear their feedback. So I don't typically sit there and go, Well guys, what do you what do you think? What do you think of the design? Is the design any good? What do you think? Because if you ask those kind of subjective questions, the only thing that's gonna happen is your client's gonna go, I hate it, or I don't like this tiny little thing about it. Whereas What they need to be doing, or what you need to be doing, is asking objective questions that are tailored to the goals of the the project. So I like to start with the Ben Burns tactic of having, after you've presented the logo, have a a slide that says, So did we miss the mark entirely? Or did we hit the mark? Or or some kind of ice breaking question so that the tension breaks because the client's probably sat there going, Oh my God, I've just seen so many amazing things. I don't know what to say. So you start it off by asking that kind of question. And then you're able to get the conversation flowing again. You can go back through different slides. You can show them the ideas you've done. They can ask you questions. And then you kind of wrap it up by saying, do you think it's an appropriate solution for your brand based on the research and process we've done up to this point? And they'll generally say yes, because you've done the research. You've not just kind of thrown some ideas and seen what stuck. You've done the research. You've confirmed an art direction and you followed a process that is thorough and extensive, and you've tested everything that you've done, which is why I don't just do three concepts and two revisions anymore, because there is so much more to this process than just, let's say, seeing what sticks on the wall. So now they might say, as you've gone through the process, something like, well, I really liked that concept that you did a rough concept design of, but then threw away later on. Can we use that as our logo instead? And then you need to remind them that they have to stay objective. And that the reason that design got kicked was because it wasn't effective for their packaging or it wouldn't be effective for their social media campaigns or it didn't actually reflect the research we'd done. It was an idea that you thought could have been something, but actually it turns out, well, after the testing and the mock-ups, it just wasn't going to work in the end. So you just need to try and stay effective and reiterate that you're making an effective solution, not just a pretty picture. Then the final step, which is, any revisions and handoff. So in my process, I always include two revision rounds, but often they don't even get used. The only time they're really used is to say, oh, could you maybe make the typeface a little heavier? Or could we change this particular corner so it's rounded instead of sharp? Or could we adjust the color palette slightly so it's a little bit less blue and a bit more green? And those are types of things that you'll probably get in feedback when you follow this process, because you've already done the testing for the logo. So it's not like they're going to go, oh, well, we love this fish logo you've made for us, but we also want a whale in there. Could you just add a whale? They're not going to do that because they have followed this process with you and they've been part of the process and they can see what you've done and how you've done it which is why we have this research process, because it's a good track record to compare back to and go, Okay, well, the reason we didn't include a whale with our fish logo is because of X, Y and Z. More often than not, you won't be using those revisions, as I said. You might have some tiny changes, but that's probably about it. So then when I go to hand the files off after everything's been confirmed, I'll create the files and tie it up in kind of a nice little folder system Including things like CMYK, RGB files, different vector files, PDF files, PNG files, all all, all that stuff. You know what I'm talking about. And they'll just be put in a nice little folder system, all labeled up correctly. And only after the deposit, sorry, the deposit, the final outstanding invoice has been paid, that's when I'll send them the designs. I never release any design files until the final payment is in my bank account. Even if they said they sent it, I'll wait till it clears and then send them the files. Because You've spent all this time doing things properly. Don't throw it all away, as you've probably heard many horror stories in the past from other people. Don't throw it all away by just <laughs> by just going, okay, well, the work is finished. Here's the work for you guys. I'll send that over. And then the client just vamooses into thin air. They just disappear. They click their fingers or they tap their heels together like Dorothy and just disappear. It's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm not getting paid for all that work that I just did. So don't do that. Make sure that all your designs are finished. All of them are wrapped up. You've got it all nice, ready to go. Get that final invoice paid and then send it immediately because it's like, okay, cool. Easy enough. All sorted. Fabulous stuff. So that is kind of the process I run through for my logo designs, which obviously it touches on some strategy stuff. It touches on some brand identity stuff, but they're all, I think, important to really establish a logo design that's going to be effective for my clients' businesses. And this is what I'm doing in 2019. It might change in a month. It could change tomorrow, depending on something new that maybe I learn or in six months. But this is something I've developed over the course of a couple of years. And I'd also go and recommend checking out Sean West, oh, sorry, Sean McCabe's post on Sean West uh, called the One Concept Approach or something along that line. Um, I'll put a link to it in the description. And I'd also go and suggest looking at all the videos about logo design from the future, because you'll find some really handy tips in there about how to improve your own process. And potentially things to look out for in the future so let me just run through those steps quickly again for you so step one was discovery call with the client which we do before any contracts are signed and before a deposit is paid the second point brand research we look at their history and their long-term goals and their competitors then we do a brand personality workshop pretty self-explanatory we find their brand's personality and we summarize it in about five keywords we then do some background research which you do off camera You do that without the client. You look at their marketplace, their general direction, and also their competitors and what to avoid. Step five, step five, one, two, three, four, five. uh, We do user profiles. So we look at their current and dream customers, making characteristics for them, their demographic, and how your client solves their problems. Step six, the art direction or stylescapes. We take the personality keywords and we build up some Pinterest mood boards, generally one to three, depending on how many stylescapes you're doing. To make a list of a list of images, a mood board full of images that relate to the keywords you have already determined for their brand personality. Then we turn those mood boards into stylescapes using images along the lines of logos, packaging, typography, uh, hero shots, and portraits, architecture, interior design, etc. Then we do the logo. The logo itself, you should already kind of roughly know which direction you're heading in, what type of logo. We do some sketches, but we don't spend too long on them because otherwise you're just going to go back round and round and round and round. We then pick 10 concepts and make those into rough digital ideas, then cut them down after pairing them with typefaces and color to three ideas. Use those three concepts in some basic mock-ups and then select one concept, one final idea, one final logo, one typeface, one color palette from that selection and apply it to even more mock-ups, basic and industry specific ones. So... your client can understand what it will look like in action. The presentation comes around next, which is step eight, and the presentation includes what you've already done previously to refresh the client's memory. You present the logo, you share the process of creating that logo, then you share the logo again at the end, and then we wrap it up with some icebreaker questions to make sure that they remain objective, your client remains objective, and you get feedback that is actually suitable for the project and not just well, I don't like this, or what do you think about this? Because they're too subjective and won't get you the right results. Then any revisions. Say, typically this process, I don't have any revisions. I always include them in the project just as a safety net, but I don't actually generally use them that often. When that's all done, you wrap up all the files in a nice little folder system and send it over to the client after they have paid their final invoice. And that's it. It's easy peasy, really. It sounds like a lot of work and that's probably because it is it's a lot of different stages but it's been successful for me up to this point and i know that by following this process it will lead to better results rather than just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks because that definitely will work for a period of time but after a while you'll find clients are just dragging projects out or you're going round and round in circles so find a process write your process down maybe steal some of the things that i've done in my process and maybe you found that interesting get your own process written down write it down, follow it every single time, and keep updating it, keep changing it, keep adjusting it, keep finding faults in it, and changing them, and updating them, because that's how you'll make a process that eventually will be 99% foolproof. And I've been talking about this for almost an hour now, when these shows are meant to be like half an hour, they're meant to be more bite-sized, but that's because I'm really passionate about having a process that is effective, it's not just making pretty pictures. So if you found this useful this episode useful today please rate and review us on iTunes leave us five stars and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Fowler Hour as i mentioned at the top of the show go and get yourself two free months of skillshare by going to skl.sh/cfowlerdesign and we'll see you guys same time next week tweet at me about the show send me an instagram message about the show tag us on your instagram story about this show do those things like the show share the show tell a friend Learn more about logo design process from the links in the description. And we'll be back this time next week. See you later. Oh my goodness, the show is long. My voice is going.